listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Um, it's been a minute, but that's what happens when you're wrapping up graduate school, as I have been doing. Um, I'm sort of out of the tunnel now. And so not only am I back, but I, I think I'm going to be nice this week. And that's why I invited John to join me. You're going to be nice? I'm, yeah, well, I'm just not going to be as stressed as I've been. Right. Yeah. It well, was, I'm it, so glad that you're done with graduate school and congratulations. Thank you. And uh, I know it's not, you know, 100% over, but 90, 95%? Yeah, I've got to take this test called the NCE, the National Counselor's Exam. And okay. uh, my good buddy from school took it a couple of weeks ago, and he said he felt like we could have passed it before we ever started the program. <laughs> uh, and I don't think that's true, but I do think that he, well, that's he was a, just sort of like, it's going to be okay. It's You're a vote of confidence. Fine. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, really good, and I'm so yeah. happy for you. So, yeah, so so it was kind of interesting because um, in in the in the rush to finish everything up, I, I mean, I just realized as I was finishing up projects that most of the pain that I'm experiencing, that I experienced over the last year in this program was self-inflicted. Mm. Procrastination, disorganization, like lots of things that I did could have been so much easier. Mm. Yeah. So there's no, there's no, there's no useful lesson in that. Um, it's just a thing. Well, I mean, what is the use? I, I feel like I want to take use out of it. Uh, maybe. I to, yeah. One of, one, of my, one of my dad's favorite stories um, was he said that evidently uh, he was for a while he was collecting sort of death penalty stories. And he said like the last man hung in England or something like that. Like when they took him to the scaffold and asked him what were his last words Evidently, his last words were something to the effect of, I just want you to know I've learned a lot from this experience. <laughs> um, I thought was sort of hey, so there's, there's always that. Yeah. I feel like if that. I get nothing else from this podcast, you know, that's, that's a it. good story. That's a yeah. good story. So, okay. So <laughs> the, the one thing I will say is, although we haven't podcasted for a minute, um, I got a lot of nice feedback from the Johan Hari episode. Oh yeah. Got some negative feedback too. Really? Yeah. Some people that thought that he was a little full of himself. Oh really? Yeah. I didn't which, get that impression at all from Johan. I, I didn't either, but you know, I think in some ways, if you don't know his backstory and kind of some of the suffering that he experienced like, like I think what 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 some people take as arrogance is just the exuberance. I think so too. That's how I read it. Who's figured who's figured some things out that were really important for him to figure out. Mm -hmm. And 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 one guy was like, he acts like he made all this stuff up and invented. I'm like, actually, he's a journalist, and he's actually spends page after page voluminously saying none of these ideas are new. I have I have taken them from others and popularized them. I'm like, right, right. That's the beauty of the guy. He's doing the Malcolm Gladwell thing, which is I, there. There are other, there are insights that it takes someone to put them all in one place to make them really useful. Yeah, and I just think you know. I said to my friend who one of my friends who's who's sort of like ah, you know, 
I, I'm not so taken with them. I was like, I don't know anyone who's done more to change the conversation about um, both addiction and anxiety and depression over the last dozen years than this than these books. And he's like, he's like, that's true. He yeah. said, you know, and, and my friend, my friend's a professional. He's like a, he's like a, a he, he's a, a professional mental health guy. Mm -hmm. And he's like, this isn't news. Everybody knows this. And I was like, no, no, no. Everybody in your profession knew this. But I said, <laughs> now right. everybody knows this. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I took it as enthusiasm and just yeah. passion for the subject, honestly. So. I really yeah. liked him. I really, yeah. really liked and, him. And it's funny because my my son-in-law said, he said, yeah, he said, but some of those stories, he said, like once he started telling the story, you felt like he had told that, he was an autopilot, like he had told that story a dozen times. And <laughs> and I said, he, he said, didn't that bother you? And I said, like, are you kidding me? I Like I grew up in the house of a man who told <laughs> stories hundreds of times over. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I was like, I have a tremendous tolerance for autopilot stories um well yeah but the good thing about stories is with each telling you can actually enjoy it right like even if you've heard it before you know the beginning middle and end if yeah. you, if especially if you're listening if especially if it's a good story from a good storyteller and and the people in the room are hearing it for the first time some of the people yeah. i can enjoy i can listen to them 20 times in a row me too and and of course the, the great thing about stories and memory overall is that memory is fungible and stories change. And so like, if you hear a good storyteller tell the same story 20 times, you've heard 20 different stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my, <laughs> my memory especially is very fungible <laughs> and like I can watch a movie, you know, 20 times and it's a new movie to me every time. I'm like a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, we don't have to uh, like, I, I'm going to make a, a, an odd transition here. Cause like there's actually, okay. I have an agenda for this show. Okay. Okay. So no, I know you told me you want, you want to read me something. Right. So oftentimes I say to you, Hey, do you have a letter that we got something, a question that somebody has this time? I've got the letter. I've got the question. I, I just want to share with you this correspondence that okay. I got. It's, it's fairly recent. I love I it. I changed some of the details and some of the names so that as not to out anybody who doesn't want to be outed. Okay. Okay. Hey, Bart, I'm 68 years old. I first came to Christ when I was 19 and was a missionary to Portugal for two years. Then, after 25 years away from the faith, I went back to mission work for five years in the slums of Kingston, Jamaica. Started to doubt the faith in 2011, came back to strong faith about a year ago, but now the doubts are starting back again. Man, I'm tired of going back and forth. Mm. Part of my problem, he says, is that I'm good at evangelism, preaching, teaching, music, languages, and more. People like me. I lead groups. People are motivated by me. And I like all that. Just being real. <laughs> I appreciate that. And he's like, I'm good at this. Yeah. Um, Buddhism has always been my default spiritual path. Easy, simple, practical, and I don't have to believe anything. Definitely not donkeys talking, snakes whispering, axe heads floating and chariots taking profits up somewhere. By the way, when I read that, I was like, where's the axe head floating story? I don't, I don't remember I don't, that. I don't know that one. I, I, I'm gonna have to get out my Bible. Um, <laughs> he said, I know you know what I mean. And I, I sort of know what you mean. I don't know about the axe heads. But um, everything else. I love helping people, but you'd think at 68, I would have figured out what's going on. Suggestions? Bless up. <laughs> Bless <laughs> up. 
I wrote back. I said, I said, Hey, Paolo. Cause I said, yeah, I said, man, I've gotten a lot of emails from ambivalent preachers, but yours is certainly the first to close with suggestions. Bless up. <laughs> I guess you really do have a way of making people like you. Um, Cause I, you know, you just kind of like the guy straight out of the gate. You know? Right, right, right. I said, it sounds like, you know, all those crazy Bible stories aren't grounded in fact. And like, you're pretty well aware that it's been you and your bag of tricks motivating people all these years, not the Holy Spirit. So I'm guessing your question isn't so much about faith as it is about how and with whom you're going to live out the rest of your life. Then again, unless you're that rare street preacher who's secretly amassed a fortune in Bitcoin, that question may already be settled. You know, like he may be fine, you know, at 68, that may be his community, that may be his paycheck, like he may need to stay in the game. Right. So what you're really asking is how you're going to pull it off. Either way, I'm afraid I'd need to know you a lot better before I'd venture any suggestions. For now, all I can tell you is that I do indeed understand what it's like to be an incurable people lover who's tired of wrestling with the nonsense and complications of a gospel that isn't really good news, let alone true, after all. Mm. I thought that would kind of settle it. Like, like dude, I yeah. feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not really in a position, I, I'd have to know you better. And sometimes people then write back and say, hey, can we talk? Or you know, right, want to do right. some consult. Like, I thought that would be the end of it. But he wrote back and it turned out I was wrong. He said, grazie, my brother. My biggest struggle is being a well-known minister and yet having these serious doubts. Why do 10-month-old babies get raped as God supposedly sits by doing nothing? Why did our good friend with six little kids get tortured and butchered at 36. Mm. Why did that young 14-year-old in my neighborhood die alone, weighing 43 pounds? Theodicy is a big problem. And theodicy, you know, philosophically speaking is, you know, if God is good, why so much evil? Right. The pro the problem of evil. Yeah. And so these are these are stories from his time in 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 uh in Jamaica. He said these are things that I saw. He said hell is another problem. My entire mm -hmm. family on my father's side is atheist and they're nicer than me and most of the Christians I know. Hell forever for them? Nope, no can do. Mm -hmm. He said, my wonderful Jewish grandparents, my favorite Muslim relative, only one way and a narrow one at that? What about Alatunji in the Sudan who worships trees because he knows no better? So, you know, he's, got, he's like, yeah, theodicy is a big problem. Hell is a big problem. And so I'm like, this guy's really still struggling with the faith. Like he's still in it. Re wrestling with all of this. Yeah, I thought he. W I thought he was like one of these cynical. Like I, I know this is all bullshit, but I'm. You know, I'm stuck. But he still seems to be like, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But then he says this. I do have a question. Like he's like these are things that you know, I know. They're they've been problems. These are forever. the problems. Yeah. He said, but I do have a question. What about my miraculous moments? I have had quite a few. Hmm. In the past, they were enough for me to swallow the above conundrums. Recently, they are not holding theological water. I know you're busy, but I'd be curious to hear you on these ideas. I just finished Why I Left, Why I Stayed, the book, with my dad. I can relate to everything you said. Your dad's views, with all due respect, seem to skirt around these issues, as we both know. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, the the miraculous moment. Well, first of all, this rings true to me. I think uh, people's experience experiences in the world um, are ultimately what 
what keep them in. You know, if if anything's going to convince them, it's going to be those moments when they, you know, prayed and had an answer. Or like, I remember Bart years ago. Um, you know, whenever I was like faced with this, you know, crossroads, like, do I marry this woman from the other side of the planet? You know, um, and and try to make this this relationship work or do I say, Oh, that's all very infeasible. And at that moment, as I was like sort of praying about that as a, as a young kid, you know, as like 19, I looked up in the sky and a, and a shooting star, you know, like blazed across the sky. And I was like, Oh, I it's, it's, Oh my gosh. You know, it's the answer. It's, it's a miracle. And like, it's the answer that I was looking for. And you yeah, know, I was going to say, and, and, and so you saw the shooting star and you said, that's, it's, it's clear. I shouldn't marry her. <laughs> It doesn't actually tell you what to do at all, does it? You've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm with it. I do think this rings true. The experiences are what keep people keep people in it in it uh, longer. Yeah, I mean, this guy has 87 logical reasons. Yes, why Christianity makes no sense. Right, but he's had these he's had these moments. Mm -hmm. What do you do with these miracles? What do you do with them? And, and, and it's good. That's a good, this is a good, this is a good, good question. Yeah. Um, I, I was talking with another friend the other day and he said like, see, now I was a run of the mill Christian until I was like, you know, in my mid twenties. And uh, then my wife and I were exposed to charismatic Christianity. And I thought, oh yeah, I bet that drove you out. He's like, we dove in hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Speaking in tongues and, mm-hmm. and, the Lord. And he said, and, and so, and, and so he's all the way on the other side of that now. Right. Right. But he says to me, here's the weird thing, Bart. I could speak in tongues right now. Yeah. And I said, you know, what's, you know, what's even crazier is, is that if I put you in a room full of a hundred other people speaking in tongues, not only could you do it, but it would feel entirely real. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And unlike you, Bart, I went down that charismatic path pretty hardcore too. I have some great stories from that, and I don't regret a moment of it because I had a lot of fun <laughs> in charismatic <laughs> Christianity. I did. It was it was a lot of fun. Like the, the the idea that like anything could happen, you know, at this Sunday morning church meeting, you know, anything, you know, it's just like this the, the crackling with this with the spirit in the room, and you know, I I um I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and it was a, f- a feeling of like, hey, once once God is here, anything can happen, you know, in this room, and and we believed it fully, you know. Uh, so I'm I, I'm down with that story too. So you know, he, so he asked the question, you know, like, what do you think? What what do I do with these miraculous moments? And uh, I, I mean, I know we've danced around this at other, but I don't think we've ever really just talked about miracles. No. <clears throat> And I know we haven't. So I guess like that raises the obvious question. Like, John, do you believe in miracles? I do not. <laughs> you do not? <laughs> no. You seem very clear on that. I am pretty clear about it. I do. I mean, I don't. But I don't believe in anything supernatural. But I believe in extremely improbable events happening. And in mm. fact, I think they happened all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh yeah. and I think that what's what's weird about it is is that when I was in the church, 
We loved miracle stories. They were the best stories. Um, we swapped them around. They were like currency. So even in non-charismatic Christianity, you, you guys did the miracles thing. Like you talked about miracles happening. Yeah. I mean, you loved the idea that there were things that happened. Somebody would say like, oh my gosh, like I, I was, I had run out of gas on the side of the road on my way to the speaking engagement and I wasn't going to make it. And lo and behold, like this guy is coming down the road and he happens to have, he said, I don't know why I just, I just decided to put an extra gallon of gas in, in a, in a can and put it in my trunk and here you can have it. And you'd get, and you're like, it's a God thing. People would always say, it's a God thing. Yeah. You That's what I never understood about the non-charismatic Christianity. You know, like it's, we believe that God could set up a gas thing, but not, you know, you know, heal someone from a back injury or something that we're praying for directly. His ways are not our ways. His ways. <laughs> but but I, I think that the important thing though is, is that, is that stuff does happen that makes you feel like the universe is alive and either it's on your side or it's against you, depending on what happens. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And that's the stuff that got our, our long ago ancestors believing in, in, in gods in the first place. Um, and it's, it's also the stuff that keeps people like my friend Paolo in the game because if you're around the church, if you pray for enough stuff, mm -hmm. one of them's going to get answered. I mean, I always joke that, you know, God does answer prayer at about exactly the same ratio as blind chance. Mm -hmm. But, but, but if you're there the day it hits, it's like, if it's like, if you're, if you're the one that drops the coin into the slot machine, the day it hits, it, it's, it's a miracle. Um, and so Paolo's asking a really important question. He's saying like, look, I've had enough of the, and it's not just miracles, it's not just stuff that happens. It's also, I guess it is stuff that happens, but sometimes it's improbable things happening. And sometimes it's just emotionally intense things happening. Like when you are in a room full of, 10,000 people and everybody is singing to the Lord and you feel swept up in it. Mm -hmm. You go like, I, I felt God, God descended on the room. I like something happened. I was there. I felt it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it is undeniable that something happened. And so I think in, in a lot of cases, you know what, you know, a guy like Powell saying, look, I've got some I've got some theological issues, but I've, I've had these spiritual experiences of the miraculous, of the ineffable, of the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, you know, what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, th I think you're right to sort of separate it out like this too. It's sort of like the, the, the arguments for the existence of God, you know, the, the ones that the apologists will talk about, you know, things like the, the, you know, the ontological argument, the cosmological argument. Even if you don't have any of that rational stuff, you have your personal experiences and who can argue with that? You yeah, know, I, it's almost like it's the ultimate authority. Like I, I, this, I, I had this experience of God and I carry that with me. I was a drug addict. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. 
These church people pulled me off the street one day. They all prayed over me. I could stop. I was in this church. Yes. I, I, you know, like God saved me. Right. And they're like, and, and, and I don't care what anyone says. You can't, you know, how are you going to say he didn't? Right. And, you know, I mean, a sociologist might look at that and say, well, look, you got swept up in a community. There were a lot of people there. The God that saved you was actually a group of people who, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. My experience is we prayed. I stopped using drugs. My life changed. Everything got better. I owe it all to God. Right. It's a miracle. You remember we had uh, David Smalley on? Yeah. Who talks to a lot of Christians about their about their lives. And it's interesting to listen to him talk, get to these moments with Christians because often they'll tell them, hey, you know, after all that we just talked about, you know, the problem of evil and all, all these things. Uh, yeah, but I just have some personal experience. And then he'll ask them what the personal experiences are. Mm-hmm. And then he'll actually sort of get into it a little bit with them and give them some alternative interpretations of those. And they say like, yeah, but, you know, like <laughs> they're so powerful. They're so, like these experiences are are very powerful. They shape people. And, and the other way too, like what's interesting is, is I meet people who say, my faith began to fall apart when my brother was hit by a car. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting of course is, is that all the other people in that person's world that got hit by cars didn't do it. It didn't cause them to question the goodness of God. It was mm. when it was their kid. It was when it was their brother. Right. That that there's some th- these these miraculous moments. They're personal. They happened to us. I was there. And and so it's it, 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 it there's the logic over here, but then there's the personal experience, and personal experience has a tendency to trump. That's right. And so. You know, what? what's interesting is one of my favorite books that I, I read a few years ago was uh, written by a mathematician named David Hand, and it was called The Improbability Principle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the subtitle of it's pretty fun. Uh, the, the Improbability Principle, um, Why Coincidences, Miracles, and Rare Events Happen Every Day. And he's just like, look, it's it's math here, baby. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's like, you go like, my cousin won the, they were, they were, they were poor and they didn't know how they were going to pay, pay for their, their kid's surgery. And they won the lottery and you go like, it's a miracle. And you're like, well, actually somebody wins the lottery every day. Yeah. Um, and most of the people playing are not wealthy. And have, and have financial needs. Exactly. That they would, that they would really love to be filled. And so, so somebody's going to get a miracle today <laughs> for somebody today is going to be a miracle day because it's yeah. a one in a kajillion chance that you win, but there's more than a kajillion people playing. Right. So, and what, well, and what's interesting too, Bart is, you know, not all of those people have a Christian worldview and some of them are like new agey and like believe, you know, have a crystal hanging around their neck and, uh, you know, and it might confirm that narrative to them if something miraculous happens, right? Um, They don't necessarily have this particular way of framing it, I guess, is the way you could say. Like, I I met someone like that not not that long ago. I hired um, a model um, who who I needed for, for a shoot. And so, you know, working with the model, and she starts going into this whole, like, you know, how she, she found her twin flame 
and like this, this numerology, you know, c- confirmed this to her and all this. Sort of, and then she's like, you know, looking her, at her tarot and and her horoscopes and all this kind of stuff. And ev- almost every other reference, seriously, all day was about these ways of thinking about the world. And, you know, I didn't I wasn't in the mood to disabuse her of anything. You know, I'm usually not. Uh, I usually just kind of talk to people on their own uh, on their own uh, way. But, you know, it's it, it seems to me very, very similar uh, when you have a Christian worldview and you see these things as confirmation of your Christian worldview. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, like crazy things do happen. I mean, in this book, like, like one of the, one of the stories Han tells is he says in July, 1975, a taxi in Hamilton, Bermuda knocked Erskine Lawrence Eben from his moped, killing him. The year before his brother, Neville Eben had been killed by the same driver driving the same taxi and carrying the same passenger while riding the same moped on the same street. Wow. What are the odds? And he says, look, the starting point here is that the number of people who are killed in road traffic accidents each every year is about 1.24 million. Note also that the story comes from nearly 40 years ago. So we're talking about 40 million deaths since then. With that number to choose from, it would be surprising if we didn't see a coincidence of this kind somewhere. Factor in the other strands of the improbability principle. You know, the same taxi with the same driver on the same street suggests the law of probability lever is coming into action. Like, you know, this, 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 you know, why, why was why would Eben's brother have been on the same street? Well, maybe because Eben, his brother got killed there, so he's checking it out, you know, and he went down to see what happened or maybe their family always went there. But like, it's it's not that, you know, what are the chances that the two brothers would end up in the same weird place in Bermuda? Well, you know. You, you can start to narrow these odds yeah. down, right? Actually, they were much more likely to be on the same street than you or I would have been to be on that same street. Right. And, uh, and then it says, you know, there's a relationship. Perhaps the passenger that the taxi was carrying always drove in that taxi every, you know, like once a day. Like it, it, it's, it's not that strange. Mm-hmm. So I think some of it is there's so many things happening and we notice the miracle. We don't notice all the times that somebody gets knocked over by a moped and, and they have no relationship to the last person that got knocked over by a moped. Right. So, you know, we don't notice most of the things that happen to us. There's there's no story to tell about randomness. Yeah. And most of the universe, most of the time is randomness. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you never come home and go like, oh my gosh, I was at the airport and I saw a person that I had never seen before. <laughs> it's just not, no, it's not noteworthy. But like, you know. <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> once in a while, you're going to see somebody and you go like, I can't believe it. I saw Jane from junior high. Right. What are the chances? And right. the answer is, well, like, you, Jane, you went to this junior high in the same city. So, like, the chances of you being in the airport at that city or in, in, in the lounge of, of airplanes going to that city, like, the, 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 the numbers start to work in your favor. What's really funny, Bart? So, like, I was just in Hawaii for five days. Right. I got back on Tuesday, right? And on the day I got back, my cousin flew out to Honolulu. So I go like, what are the odds that my cousin on that very day that I'm flying back from Hawaii would be going to that 
very airport to Hawaii and we wouldn't overlap. Well, actually pretty good because, (laughs) you know, like a lot of people are going to Hawaii right now because lockdown is lifting in all these cities and they're very keen to travel and they've gotten vaccinated and they're feeling good. And so where do they want to go? They want to go somewhere warm and tropical. Yeah, this is not that crazy. So, you know. so th- the other principle that, that Han talks about is the law of selection. And he says, you can make things as likely as you want if you choose after the event. Uh, what does that mean? What it means is like, okay, classic story that people talk about in this country that you didn't know, you wouldn't know about growing up where you do is the parallels between the lives of Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy, two American presidents. Okay. Everybody knows they were both assassinated, but what is less well-known is that both were killed on a Friday and both in the presence of their wives. Both were shot in the head from behind. Lincoln was killed in Ford's theater while Kennedy was killed in a car made by the Ford Motor Company. Furthermore, each had a son who died while they were president, Lincoln's son, Willie, and Kennedy's son, Patrick. Lincoln had a personal secretary named John and Kennedy had one named Lincoln. Lincoln became president in 1861 and Kennedy in 1961. While Lincoln's assassin, John Wilkes Booth, was born in 1839, and Kennedy's assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, was born in 1939. Both Lincoln and Kennedy were succeeded by presidents named Johnson, who, wait for it, were born in 1808 and 1908, respectively. They each had four (laughs) children. And you go like, that's amazing. Well, it is amazing, but I think you and I both hear that and we go like, wow, what a crazy coincidence. I'm not even sure what the narrative would be if we were going to try to draw anything other than coincidence out of that. Like, what what are we what are we trying to say? Like, the universe makes up weird facts? I mean, what are we talking about? If Yeah, and like, the fact is, is like, not, like they, those things that, are, that they're pointing out in the story mm-hmm. were selected from a large number of facts um, of potential pairs, most of which didn't match. Like, the names of their mothers... They don't mention that because they didn't match. The birth right. dates of their mothers, the height of their wives, the dates on which they got married, whether <laughs> yeah, they yeah. were bearded or not, like the precise nature of their religious beliefs. Like there are so many things that are not the same. Right. But like you, after the fact, you like, what can I find that match up? Like like JFK never wore a prominent top hat. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and so the, you know, the fact that they were shot in the head is often cited as a coincidence, but like gun assassinations normally involve being shot in the head or the chest. Nobody gets assassinated by being shot in the foot. So like if two people were assassinated, it's not going to be surprising they were shot in the same place. There are all these things that like, if you're looking for it, you can make it work. Um, And, you know, I think that the other thing is like a lot of times, like if something is near enough, it's close enough, you go like, that's amazing. Um, like they were both, you know, Lincoln's car was made by the Ford Motor Company or, or, or you know, Kennedy's car was made by, yeah, but it was, it was a Lincoln Continental. It wasn't a Ford, but like, you know, you see so stretching it, but you can make it work. But you can make it work. Right. And if you're looking for patterns, I, I always remember this quote from Christopher Hitchens who said, uh, um, you know, seek and ye shall find in the Bible. You know, he says it's a sinister injunction because it's, it's very likely to be true. We are pattern-seeking animals. Uh, that's what we do. We're going to look for patterns everywhere. And so, like, seek and ye shall find, it sounds like, you know, it's almost inviting you to do this. You know, find meaning in everything. Yeah, find- I guess it's, it's a form of confirmation bias. 
I mean, I often joke about how, you know, go ahead and buy, buy a VW bug and then go out and drive. And guess what you'll see on the road everywhere? VW bugs. Like, 100%. You go, like they were always there. You just weren't looking for them. But once you start seeking them, you will find them. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that- It's th interesting. Those things, those kind of things are what happen when other people are telling us stories and we go like, wow, that's amazing. And on some level, it's like, wow, that is interesting. It's not actually that amazing. Like we live in, mm -hmm. a, in, in, a, in a universe this vast with this many things going on. Even when people say life on earth, you go like with all the billions of planets and all the energy and matter, you go like, what are the chances that any of it would organize itself into consciousness? And I go like, I don't know, but even if they are a kajillion to one, here we are. And, 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 and the fact of the matter is, is that it, life is really improbable but the universe is really big. Somebody wins the lottery every day. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even on that cosmic level. Mm -hmm. But, but I think that, you know, I think that what Paolo's really getting at, I mean, I, 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 I give all that mathy stuff um, because I think it helps. It's, 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 it's like Christian apologetics, which aren't actually intended to convince anybody that Christianity is true. It's to convince Christians that like, they're not idiots for holding on to that, these ideas. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is a kind of a secular apologetic where you go like, I'm not trying to convince any Christians. You see, it, it wasn't a miracle after all. I'm trying to say to a secular person like Paolo or somebody who's, who's essentially secular and he's going like, but the, 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 the weird miracle stuff, like, yeah, 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 buddy. They, they really do happen. And that doesn't mean there's a God. Yeah, it, crazy stuff happens in the universe. And that doesn't mean that there's anything supernatural going on. Like it's, this, this, these are the law of large numbers. These are the laws of near enough. These are the laws of, 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 of selection. We mm -hmm. see what we see. These are biases and, and, and perspectives and things. I think that's, I think it's really, so that, that's the reason I put all that mathy stuff out there. But I think that the real question that, that he's asking is what about these experiences that I've had where I felt God, where I felt the spiritual warfare, like, like you did when you were in those charismatic church services where I mm -hmm. felt something happening. And I guess for that, you know, I have to, I have to come back to like, Paolo, I've got some LSD here. It has nothing to do with God, but it'll make you see things you've never seen before. Paolo, there's a rock concert over there. If, if I put you in the middle of it, you're going to feel emotions that you haven't, that you wouldn't have otherwise felt. You're going to get swept up in a group of people. Paolo, there's, there's a mob at the Capitol over there. And if you go stand in the middle of it, if you're even halfway persuaded by conservative politics, I can maybe even convince you to kill somebody that you weren't even thinking about killing six hours before you got to the mob. Like you are a human being and your senses and your emotions and your under and, and, and your consciousness of reality are really susceptible to the influence of your of your circumstances and surroundings, not to mention what you happen to eat or drink that day, or how much sleep you've had. And anybody that ever ran a Christian youth retreat knows that the kids are much more likely to see God at 11 o'clock at night after they're all sugared up and they didn't sleep much the night before 
than they are when you get there on Friday afternoon and, and you're just putting them in the bunks. Like it's, we are susceptible. Our emotions, our sense of reality are really susceptible to a lot of influences that have nothing to do with anything spiritual. Do, do you think that's hard for people to admit? Depends admit on who to you, themselves. I think it's hard to admit if you're trying to stay in. I think it's 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 helpful to be shared to be told that if you're trying to get out. Like I, mm. when I read Paolo's stuff, he's like, "This stuff doesn't make any sense." God's the, the, what kind of God would do this, that, and the other thing? Like I don't know. I don't want to believe this stuff anymore, but I'm stuck with it because I've had these experiences, and and that's when I think, "Hey, I'm I'm here to release you, buddy." I'm here to tell you that those experiences really did happen exactly the way you experienced them. And that doesn't mean that you're stuck with a bloodthirsty God who actually exists. It just means you're a human being. So for him, it's liberating, hopefully. For somebody who's desperately trying to believe in God, I think they just go like, oh, you know, that's the wisdom of the world. That's, you know, like, you know, that, you know, th you remember that passage where Paul says, um, you know, th th with the wisdom, God uses the wisdom of the world to confound the, the, the sinner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. To confound the wise or to? Uh, yeah. It, it, what it is is, so here it is. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is writ written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And later on in the same passage, it says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So, so basically Paul is saying like, look, they're going to think our stuff is ridiculous. And, it, and it, of course it seems ridiculous, but it's the truth and it will confound their wisdom. So he says like, look, you know, the, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It's like, it's like God's made it so that they can understand it. They're trying to use reason and logic. And this stuff is way beyond that. <laughs> For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And so I think that like on some level, we get caught up in a thing where if somebody wants to believe in the gospel, if somebody does believe, not if they want to, if somebody does believe in the gospel, you can come to them with all the logical arguments and all the math and all the evidence in the world. And they'll say, you don't understand. Like that's, that's the, 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 the wisdom of man. That's the wisdom of the wise. That's the intelligence of the intelligent. That's God's way past that. Mm -hmm. And so, and so it's not threatening like all this math is not threatening to somebody who believes in miracles. It's only liberating to somebody who's trying to reinterpret their experience in a way that enables them to live with 
what they suspect is the truth. And that is that in spite of their experience, there's no magic. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think you're saying it well. I, I, I don't know how you take someone from A to B, though, you know, on that, um, except, to, except to kind of say like- You don't. You don't, John. You don't take anyone yeah. from A to B. You take somebody like Paolo, who's caught between A and B. You know, he, he's already saying, this doesn't make any sense. And if, the, if, the, if there was a God who is actually behind my miraculous experiences, where the hell was he when that kid was starving to death? I only believe in God because of these weird experiences and, and, like, and yet God makes no sense. And you're like, oh, if you're at that point, Paolo, then rather than trying to make God to make sense to you, let me try to give you an alternative narrative for why you had those spiritual experiences. Right. Because people have them in every religion. And in no religion at all. Yeah. They're just, they're, those are human experiences. Yeah. And so let, 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 you know, so you can't take Paolo from A to B. A had to fall apart on its own. And, and, you know, for him, it fell apart in the streets of Jamaica, just watching, you know, life and watching, that sounds a little like your story. Yeah. I think, I think for a lot of people who put themselves out there um, in the name of Jesus to, to, to sort of be, to be the agents through which God overcomes evil, and then they watch as evil is not overcome, um, a lot of us end up going like, wait a second, maybe we're, mm -hmm. maybe we're firing blanks here. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I relate to I relate to this guy. I guess I have like a a, a little like maybe postscript question, co postscript candidate question, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which is how does this revelation or or let, let's say you decide that you know it's the law of probability and it's and and, and it's randomness ultimately um, in a lot of ways. Um, What's the upshot of that for you when you realize that? And 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 is it a? I, I guess it could be a bummer for some people. I know some people who feel like, oh yeah, life is just less meaningful when you don't believe that you know the universe is speaking or or God is speaking or doing something or like strings are not being pulled. You know, it's a little more random. I don't feel that. Uh, I think I I just get my meaning in different way in a different way. Um, but what do you what do you think someone should take out of that ex, uh, out of that revelation or out of that conclusion assuming that they can get there i think i think one thing is you would have to broaden your perspective because the only people i know that feel good about the idea that god is pulling the strings are people for whom things are breaking the right way you know, the idea that- That's interesting. The idea that everything is as it should be or that everything happens for a reason, that's a lot easier idea to handle when things are breaking your way. Um, and so, you know, part of me thinks like, take the larger view and ask yourself, you know, about some of the, you know, some of the, some of the suffering that happens in the world, some of the, 
some of the most extreme forms of it. I don't want to list those things. It's just so sad. But, you know, people that are kidnapped and tortured. Right. And all kinds of stuff. All kinds of things. And sort of go like, so does that happen for a reason? Does everything happen for a reason? Like, like do, do tell. Do tell me how that works out. Because I don't think anybody who's being tortured in a, in a prison goes like, you know what? I'm glad that, it, you know, praise the Lord. Everything happens for a reason. And so I think that that's a I think that's a, a a kind of a privileged theological perspective to have. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean that's, that's, that's old Max that's Weber good. in the Protestant work that Protestant work ethic. The idea that like God, you know that you know that, that the sign of God's favor was prosperity, and so the the more people prospered, the more they were like, well, clearly there is a God, and he's you know you're like you're like well that really works for you, right? Um, so yeah, so I, I think that. I think when people say the the universe is is a less appealing place if there's if it if it's not all orchestrated, I, I sort of think like actually, um, it's a more hopeful place to me. Um, yeah, th th that's th interesting. You know, and, and 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 you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that in certain ways, um, I, you know, I don't know if I don't know if human progress is a myth. You know, I don't know if we really are morally progressing at all, or if we start over again with every generation. But I feel like there are some ways in which it's much, much better to be a human being. Your chances of, of dying a violent death or of being tortured are much less now than they were 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that there's something encouraging about the idea that we make meaning and that we can create justice um, and that we can make things better better. Not perfect. They'll never be perfect, but we can make things better. I, I, I actually find that to be a more hopeful, um, a more hopeful prospect than the idea that we're playing out some orchestrated plan, especially when, if we are indeed playing out an orchestrated plan, the orchestra leader has a perverse, perverse sense of humor. So, you know, Again, I, I, I think I think when I think about somebody like Paolo who's going like, wait a second, I don't, this hell thing doesn't work for me, all this evil and suffering doesn't work for me, but like, ugh, I did have these moments, and they go like, yeah, 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 you did have those moments. They don't mean that. All, all they mean is that you're capable of having moments. Embrace that possibility. Maybe even come up with rituals and come up with plans and practices so that you can experience some moments of transport and some moments of wonder. You know, there are some reliable ways to have those out of body experiences. Maybe you want, maybe, maybe that's, I'm glad you have those experiences. How can we make those happen for more people? But that doesn't mean you have to buy into the whole, the whole hook, line, and sinker of a gospel that ultimately isn't really very good news. So that's, that, you know, uh, yeah, we got to stop. That's great. No, that's great. I, I probably have repeated myself already. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, that's as is my way. Thanks for talking, John. Yeah. Thank you, man. That yeah. Was great. Thanks. For, you know, and I, I hope if, if for nobody else, I hope for Paolo, this is a good podcast. Yeah. All right. And uh, we'll be back next time with a cool conversation. And uh, we'll see you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. 
Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at HumanizeMePod on Twitter and HumanizeMePodcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search HumanizeMe on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. Hey, you could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live for you ever wanted. Yeah. Cool.